0: it's chaos it's a different type of sunday scary it's your newest obsession it's dirty driving a formula one podcast we're the hornsby sisters i'm katie and i'm megan
1: hello hello
0: hello everyone
1: welcome back to another episode of dirty driving
0: This time we're going to discuss what I'm just going to just put out there and say was the most chaotic yet the most boring race of this year for sure. Maybe I've ever seen. That feels like a bold statement. Really, I don't know how to articulate the dichotomy that was the Singapore Grand Prix. Yeah, I watched it Megan
1: and I got to watch part of it together before I had to hop on a plane and then I watched the race in 30 on the plane and then I got home and the boyfriend wanted to watch the race so we put it on again and he was so excited for it I didn't want to like break his excitement by letting him know that the race was pretty much all behind the safety car and then the first safety car came out and I was like yeah, get ready. This is
0: this is pretty much it. <laughs> it was wild though because shit kept happening and yet nothing was happening.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Shit was happening, but nothing
0: was happening. Things just kept occurring that didn't really even seem to like they changed the race, but they didn't like change the race. Yeah, I, I, there's not a
1: lot to discuss that happened during the race other than the safety cars, but there's a lot to discuss outside of the race. It's been kind of a crazy week in terms of Formula One, I feel like. Not as crazy as weeks in the past, but there has been no, some this, things that have happened.
0: Just is, there's just been so much. There's so just so much. many things. So many things. Um, I think we should just dive into it. I think we need to begin, not I think, I know we need to begin with the fact that Alex Albon is back or was back. Don't forget, Alex Albon was not able to participate in the Italian Grand Prix at Monza due to him suffering appendicitis and then subsequently suffering from respiratory failure just a few weeks ago. So Alex Albon was Back in it this weekend, he said that he felt better than expected as he returned to the grid. Honestly, of all the races to come back after a surgery, this is probably the worst one to come back to. Easily. This is or was or is or however, whatever you want to frame this as, because it will continue to be one of the hardest races ever. It's a physically demanding adventure because it's long. The lap is long. It's a lot behind the safety car. Historically, there's been one in every race. So you are going flat out and then you're slowing down. And all you're doing is thinking about how hot and sweaty and humid and tired and dehydrated you are to then be like, and I have to mentally now do it all again. And then, oh, safety car. So this was a physically demanding race for him to come back to.
1: I was excited to see him back. There was part of me that was worried that he wasn't going to be ready to be back. I just feel like A, having your appendix out and then B, having complications and being put on a uh, re- respirator. Is that right?
0: He was in respiratory failure. Re- yeah. and I don't I know the specific. I think he was
1: put on a ventilator is the word I'm looking for. Um, I believe he was. Don't quote me on that. But I feel like, to then experience all of that and then train and get ready and have your body recuperate and then come out and perform in this, I didn't think he was gonna be back. So I'm really glad that he was able to perform.
0: I was shocked he was back. I, throughout his recovery was pretty much in the back of my head thinking that we might see another DeVries, just because it is Singapore. And because he was in Italy for the surgery recovery, then was back home, from my understanding, he went back to Monaco, and then was like, now I have to go to Singapore? I would have not have been shocked, but I was very, very, very happy to see him back. It was nice. Um, unfortunately, the race didn't turn out exactly as he had hoped, but... I think considering considering the whole weekend and how wild the race ended up being, while it was not maybe a success, it was also not a dumpster fire for his first race back. Maybe it was, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe for Williams, it was a dumpster fire.
1: (laughs) And then the other big news out of this week, which I think we touched on it a little bit last week since it was, No, it wouldn't have been out by the time we recorded, Um, but the FIA and Formula One announced that there will be six, I repeat, six sprint races next year during the 2023 season, and um, I I think there's mixed feelings about this. Megan and I talked a little bit about it. We haven't really shared too much about what we think, Uh, so yeah, let's just hop in And talk about what you think about six sprint races.
0: Look, if there's going to be 24 races, three sprints seems stupid. That seems just like weird. Because it doesn't seem like it will impact anything at that point. So while I don't love that sprint races can sometimes be controversial, I also don't think having just three is useful either. So I, I don't really know. Look at the end of the day, the thing about sprint races that I like is that for new fans, which I know all the old guard is going to be in up in arms because we shouldn't be catering to entertainment or catering to new fans. But as the sport gets more popular, there is a function of needing to evolve I don't love three practice sessions. So for a weekend to have a sprint race and get fans interested in the weekend shenanigans earlier, I think has a utility. Is there room for improvement? Absolutely. We've given many suggestions about how we think a sprint race could sprint sprint weekend could be spiced up.
1: I've always said if we're going to do it, we might as well do it. And I would have been disappointed if they would have announced that we are going to continue with three because you're exactly right. Three out of 24, it's just not enough. It's like, why, why do it in the first place? I'm cool with six. I would have been okay with eight. Ten probably would have been pushing it just because – There's a lot that goes into then having to prepare the car for yet another activity session that weekend, especially one where we're actually racing, but I'm cool with it. I'm very excited to see where they'll be. This brings a lot of opportunity to spice up some, you know, historically not as exciting tracks if we get, if, if the sprint races land where they should or where they could.
0: Definitely think 10 would have been too many. I think eight would have been too many. I don't know. Look, I I don't know. Who knows? Hell, what we could have, they could change the points again for the sprint weekends. They could change the points for qualifying. They could, hell, they could put points in qualifying for all we know. I don't think that there is maybe a need for people to be so upset about six, because what were they going to do? Three was three was stupid. Three was really dumb amongst 24 races. At that point, there is no utility. Too many races will have happened before there was a sprint that you'd have to reteach everybody how to do it. <laughs> I do think that, I don't know. I don't know if they need to... There, there does need to be uh, Some difference in terms of like qualifying sets the pace or sets the grid for Sunday and the sprint is based on like FP2 times or maybe the sprint is based off of your everybody's time in Q1 so that everybody has to set a really great representative time in Q1. And then the race is based off of full qualifying results. I don't know. There's ways to do it, but I think ultimately the issue is that the grid is the same. Like the, 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 the exciting part of the race happens in the sprint. That's what people are frustrated about. So they feel like we get to the, the race and the the grid is the results. I, I understand that method, that, that, that thought process. So maybe you do say the sprint race is FP one, FP two times. Maybe you say that everybody has to start the sprint on, I don't know, softs. I don't know. Mediums, depending on the track, like Pirelli just decides with tire. I, there's ways to do it. I think, I
1: expect to see some changes, and then we will figure out where we're going to be having them, hopefully sooner rather than later.
0: Hopefully it's at a track we want to go to.
1: Yeah, it'd be really cool to be at a, at a sprint race.
0: I would li- love to see how a sprint weekend happens, because it would be one less practice session. And we know the practice sessions are going to be longer next year, so I don't know. We'll see what happens. The next big thing we have to discuss, and we cannot go any further without acknowledging and discussing, are the rumors. The rumors in the paddock. There's always rumors in the paddock, but these, these are some spicy rumors. Spicy, spicy. So over the weekend, there was lots of talk everywhere, lots of conversations everywhere that Formula One has talked about about the 2021 FIA financial regulations. It is believed. Believed is a a big statement. We'll say believed is a little a little too ambitious on this one. That two teams, Red Bull Racing and Aston Martin, spent more than last year's permitted cap of 145 million dollars. No confirmation no confirmations have occurred from the FIA. But they did release a statement on Friday saying that the FIA is currently fina- finalizing the assess- wow, I cannot talk today. The FIA is currently finalizing the assessment of the 2021 financial data submitted by all F1 teams. Alleged breaches of the financial regulations, if any, will be dealt with according to the formal process set out in the regulations. We will know what happens on Wednesday because Wednesday is when the FIA is due to deliver the certifications of 2021 compliance. So any team that violated the breach or violated the cap, breached the cap limit will not receive them. And then we'll be like liable to further scrutiny. So we'll know on Wednesday, theoretically, potentially, if it's, I don't know with the FIA hell after Sunday and us not knowing who won the race until two hours later, it could be next Wednesday before we have any idea what's going on. Yeah. But- I don't
1: trust. I don't trust any of their timelines, but. Let's say it happens Wednesday, Megan. What happens then?
0: (laughs) Let's say in a theoretical world where the FIA actually knows what the hell is going on. Essentially what will happen if teams are found in violation is that they'll be brought in front of the cost cap adjudication council and then consequences penalties will be handed out accordingly. Okay. Look two things we need to talk about in consequences. First, we've already had a consequence doled out in June The first offense regarding the cost cap was brought up, and it was a um, Williams Racing was fined 25,000 euros for not getting its paperwork filed on time. The second thing we need to discuss is what the fuck are the violations anyway? Essentially, the rule says there's a simple split at 5% above the cap. If you exceed the cap but less than 5%, it's considered a minor overspend. If you go above that 5%, it's considered a material overspend, and thus it's more severe. The number 5% in itself is, is just kind of arbitrary, I think. I have no idea why they decided on 5%. I couldn't figure out. But 5% equates to an extra $7 million. That's a big deal.
1: That's a big chunk of change that can go to... A lot of things that it's not supposed
0: to go to. That is multiple upgrades. That's a whole new whatever that bridges, that's that is seconds, not maybe not seconds, that's tenths of seconds off of times. But when teams are as close as they have been this year, which by the way, if you overspent last year in 2021, that impacts your car in 2021 that impacts your development for 2022. And that still is going to be impacting 2023. And maybe even 2024, you could make the argument.
1: Easily. I don't think the general public who may not have the full knowledge realizes that development on the car for the following year starts it starts early, years before years before they've been thinking about this for years they're they are already thinking about 2024 5 6 if you're able to spend more than you're allotted in 2021 we are going to see differences in 2022 between your car and everybody else's car
0: so what are the teams saying let this is where it gets yeah, a little it, spicy it gets a little juicy total wolf comment said maybe he Obviously, Christian Horner doesn't speak to his CFO, direct quote. I'm sorry. Put the kettle on. That's some fucking hot tea. (laughs) Then later on, he said that it is being looked after. That's an open secret in the paddock. Okay, so Christian is saying, like, look, this might be cloak and dagger, but everybody's aware. Okay? Then we have the Ferrari racing director saying... It's a very vital test for the cost cap. If we don't pass the te- test, it's probably game over because the implications are huge. He is directly talking about what Katie and I were just mentioning, that the implications of overspending $7 million, which I guess like in concept of Formula One sounds like a drop in the bucket. I hate to say that, but they go oh, $7 million. It's a drop in the bucket for a team, but it's not. It's really not when it comes to that is – being able to bring new parts if there's a crash instead of duct taping them back together, gorilla gluing them back together. That's a new chassis. That's a new front wing. That's a new floor spec. That's a new rear wing spec. That's a new side pod. That's a new, I I could list the whole thing. So he's right. It's the implications are huge. Horner. The last one I'm going to talk about is Horner. He said, we are a little taken aback by comments that were coming from two of our rival teams. The submission between the team and the FIA is one that is confidential. To me, Christian, nothing is confidential in F1. What are you talking about?
1: I will be very intrigued. Well, I am very intrigued to see... What actually comes of this? Because I think there are two things that we have to think about. We have to think about not only who did it, but how badly they did it.
0: You're so right. And I think, the, so the first question, who did it, is A, is even two things. Did it even happen, and who did it? Yeah. I, because, look, I, I'm i saying 50, I'm 50-50 on it. Look, I wouldn't be surprised if someone violated, and I wouldn't be surprised if no teams did. Like, I, I 50/50 because look, part of me says these companies are gambling away way too much money to to go above the cost cap. Like that would be foolishness. And the other half of me is like, look, maybe they were desperate enough. They're like, look, the rules the rules are vague about penalties. So maybe we'll go above and we'll Let's see what see the FIA does.
1: Yeah. I'm convinced that someone busted the budget. I'm I don't think these rumors were sparked from nothing. I couldn't tell you whether or not it was a minor or a material, but I think there has been a bust somewhere, whether it's Aston Martin and Red Bull, whether it's Williams, whether it's Mercedes, whether it's whoever, I'm convinced that someone has busted the budget.
0: I think there's that that's why I'm 50/50. It's cuz why would rumors like this exist if everyone abided by it?
1: Right. We wouldn't be talking about it. So I wish I knew who started the rumor. Like I wish we could pinpoint who was the creator of the this rumor because they must know something none of us know, whether it's they saw something they didn't get to see, they overheard something they didn't get to see. I think like that's a big part of this too is There are so many fucking people in the paddock every weekend. Like, someone might have overheard something. They might have heard something incorrectly. They might have seen something incorrectly. They might have heard it all right. I don't know. There's a million people that get to go in there and wander around between the teams, between the fans, between the drivers, between every single piece. It happened. I think it happened.
0: I'm going to happen. I'm convinced. Look, I I'm 50-50, but because I think the bigger question right now is what do the penalty like, I'm sorry, the penalties are vague. Like again, we have the situation where things are vague. It's not like for every X amount of dollars you've spent, it's equivalent to this many points, or it's equivalent to this much time, or this much deducted out of next year's budget. There are it's not spelled out like that. They're like will be here are the possible options. It will be decided by here are the possible options. All I'm going to say is. If someone violated it. If I'm going to say if I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus right now, but if someone violated the FIA has a responsibility to actually set a precedent here, because if they don't, then. There is nothing stopping teams for every year for being four point nine percent above at that point, like if you know a light penalty is going to be a twenty five thousand euro fine a hundred thousand euro fine if it's just a fine, teams will violate it every year because every year. there will be there will be no point in having a hundred and forty million dollar cap It should be a hundred and four or a hundred and forty four point nine million should really be the real cap we're all talking about because. There's no reason to abide by a number if breaking that rule means nothing.
1: And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I am going to be ticked if it's a fine in a, in a euro amount. Because here's the deal. What does that matter?
0: Clearly there's, you don't care about money.
1: There's always money somewhere. I'm sorry there always always is money somewhere to be found, to be paid, to be all of the above. That's not enough of a consequence to me. Because if you've already spent over the 145 million, what's to say you don't have an extra couple mil to pay off the fine?
0: The only the only thing I can say is that the only thing that would tangibly hurt them would be time out of production or development or innovation reduction of wind tunnel time, it would be points removed from championships or it would be having to stick to a lower budget in the next year to like offset the bounce you got in one year. Look, the one thing I'm going to say about points is that it will be so shitty as fans. So shitty as fans. Don't say it. To celebrate, to celebrate a win and then, what, 10, 11 months later, find out that that, that driver team's win is nullified by this audit. Yeah. So if that is going to be the result, it needs to happen once and it needs to scare everyone and it needs to happen now.
1: The example – Because
0: – as fans, we don't want to. We don't want to do this. No. I will say, I saw. I was reading stuff, and this someone had posted like what the standings would look like if, let's say, those if two teams, if Red Bull and Aston Martin were disqualified from this year, what the standings would look like. And I was like, oh damn, the rest of the season will be spicy, spicy, because everyone, everyone is so tight after first place.
1: Yeah, if Red Bull isn't able to compete for the World Championship this year, buckle up. Buckle the because fuck up. Because we have
0: five races of pandemonium. It so would
1: be I'm like the things that will come out of Christian Horner's mouth alone. He'll probably have to be like kicked. He'll probably have to be put in timeout, honestly. <laughs> I've never seen the FIA put anybody in timeout, but the time might come. Because if it is Red Bull, again, if it is Red Bull, if it is Aston Martin, I cannot wait to hear what Lawrence and Christian have to say about it.
0: I also, look, look, look. If, I, I'm not saying this is going to happen. I am just saying in a world where it does, I would genuinely be worried about like the sport. But I also am like, if you don't do it now, then everybody's going to break the rule in the future. I, I get rules maybe aren't right. Or maybe this is This is proof that the FIA needs to stop writing these vague ass rules and just say, you do X, here is your penalty. Yeah. I mean, I don't like it. I don't like any of this. That's why I, I also am just like, look, how could Red Bull be this stupid? Like, how could they be this stupid? Like, did they really not? Like, if they if they did this, like, how could they be that? Like, that is what makes me so mad about this, is that the 50% of me that's like, this happened is just mad. Like, why would they do this? Was it, wh- why? 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 Because you read all of these, you go back to what happened when the cost cap. like, people were restructuring their companies. People were being laid off. And to know that other teams we're doing all of that. And you were just like, we're going to skirt the rules. Like that pisses me off. It's rude. It's rude. rude. Katie's it's, so calm. It's rude.
1: It's rude. It's rude. And it's I, disrespectful. It's disrespectful to everyone who had to get laid off. It's disrespectful to your whole team, especially, especially if let's say it were to come out that a team did go over and like, like, only some people would be privy to that information. I would be heartbroken for the team. I'd be heartbroken for the drivers, the team, the, all the fans of that team. Like That would just be – it'd be ugly. I don't know what else to say. People would be horrified
0: and upset. Horrified. So that, all of that being said, here's where we stand. Katie's convinced someone did it. I'm 50/50. We both agree that if someone violated it, penalties have to be harsh here so it doesn't happen in the future. And no. that is not because that's not because I want anyone to suffer like the penalty, but I'm just saying that if it's not established now, the whole concept behind the cost cap is is rendered nullified. It's useless yeah. then.
1: It's like, why did we even do this in the first place?
0: Yeah, we spent way too much money and time talking about a cost cap that doesn't even matter because everyone's just gonna create their own cost cap. Stupid. Stupid. Moving on from things that are stupid to things that are silly. It's silly season. Katie? Time.
1: Okay. Let's let, let's you,
0: celebrate a moment.
1: Gonna, you're gonna let me say it? Are you gonna let me say it?
0: I'm gonna let you say it.
1: Thank you. I've waited all day for this moment. Nicholas Latifi is no longer a Formula One driver. Whatever God you believe in came out and and gave us a gift. Because after... In the words... Oh, go ahead, Megan. Go ahead.
0: In the words of Fred Vassar, when it comes to DNFs, <laughs> sometimes it's reliability, sometimes it's retirements, and sometimes it's Nicholas Latifi. And we, I, I bungled the quote, but it still was had just as powerful.
1: I mean, like that news broke and I have been I was elated. I'm sorry. I don't I don't mean to be rude. I really don't. I don't mean to diss on a driver. I don't mean to be upset. But after this weekend, after Sunday, which we'll talk about it in a minute, it's just wreaking like, get, havoc. Get out of here. You're done. You are donezo. And I never have to look at you or your Nutella 11 face again.
0: I just am done with his driving. But on positive notes, on positive notes, <laughs> Nick DeVears has allegedly kind of unconfirmed, potentially, probably, yes, he totally did sign with Alphatari. I don't know. The news about this is ridiculous. Everything is unconfirmed. We're pretty sure it's going to be announced in Japan next weekend. But. Let's break down what these two things mean. What do we not know? As of right now, we are waiting to see who will be at Alpine next to Esteban Ocon. Katie, it will probably be Gasly if DeVeres is going to Alphatari. In terms of Williams, the seat next to Alex Albon, it's looking like it's going to be Hulkenberg or Schumacher. Interesting to note here is that the commentators this weekend on F1 TV specifically said that they're not hearing Daniel Ricciardo's name being thrown around anymore. So part of me thinks that that part, not part of me, I am fully committed to believing that Daniel Ricciardo is taking the reserve driver's spot at Mercedes.
1: Yes. I, I don't know. I'm going to talk about him a little bit later too, but I just am heartbroken for him. I'm hoping that he takes a year as a reserve driver, gets to, you know, quote unquote, shadow Lewis and George, refine, recenter, re all of the above, and maybe just take a year off and relax a little and then come back next year, find a spot that is a good fit for him and show us all the Daniel Ricciardo that we know and love.
0: And I really just don't want to, I don't want him to go to a shitty team and have a year and then be done. Like I'd rather him not leave formula one at all, but I just don't think it's going to be beneficial to his career for him to go to Haas next year. No.
1: And you know what? If Nico Hulkenberg is back on the grid,
0: I'm going to be upset.
1: I'm also gonna be upset. So that's
0: But that will give me hope that Daniel can take some time out and come back. Yes. That is a that is a true that's a slippery slope though. I don't know if he should go race other cars. I don't know. i like I don't know if he should go to IndyCar or try to go to NASCAR or go to GP, whatever. I I would just think that he should stay in F1 and be a reserve driver and be around if he's going to be out for a year. But Nonetheless, I think everything, the picture is going to become much clearer next weekend when DeVeres is announced because that will lead to another string of dominoes. Um, Haas will probably just be the straggler at the end. Ultimately, I think Schumacher should be back in that seat. He would have, this weekend could have been a lot better for him if, you know, Georgie had given him some room. Crikey.
1: Speaking of this weekend and George not giving uh, any room and all of the above, all the things that we've hinted at thus far, let's get into it. Let's talk about Singapore. So the initial plan for the circuit was developed by good old F1 circuit designer Herman Tilk and then refined by KBR Inc. It's a street circuit in Marina Bay, Singapore with the city skyline as a backdrop. And Megan, the more I thought about it, the more I want to go to this race, so I told her maybe 2025 or 2026, but we'll see what she thinks about that. I'll, I'll
0: need do. an entire, entire like wetsuit.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. I'll buy you a new. Like just wrap me in um, means that we can go.
0: Wrap me in bubble wrap because there is very little overhangs.
1: We have eight ponchos so we could put every single poncho on you we know, don't have
0: eight anymore too.
1: you're right we we're down to six couple. we're down to six the circuit is known for having at least one safety car in every race in 2019 we had three and there have been a total of 23 safety cars as of 2022 the 24 turn bumpy surface paired with the human conditions Make this track the most physically demanding circuit for the drivers who can lose up to three kilograms per race. Lewis Hamilton explains it best. You need to put a lot of work into the car to get a good lap. I'd say it requires double the energy of Monaco over a single single lap. One lap around here is like two laps of Monaco. Period.
0: Period. End of statement. End of statement. (laughs) So this place is kind of interesting. I really was thinking a lot about Singapore when I was, you know, rehashing. I watched a couple of Singapore Grand Prix on F1 TV to get ready for the race. I think I was just also missing Formula One a little bit. But Marina Bay was the site of the first night race in F1 history all the way back in 2008, which was won by Fernando Alonso in a controversial victory. Known as Crashgate. So I find it interesting that this weekend was marred by controversy as this circuit has been in the past. <laughs> so this controversy, Crashgate, I'm going to go through this really quickly because we haven't really we've hinted at it, you know, throughout all of the, the things, but we've never actually like looked at it and talked about it. So it is kind of a a dumpster fire is the only way I can describe this whole thing. So back in 2008, Fernando Alonso qualified poorly for Renault. He was in P 15 in the inaugural Singapore grand prix. So first year in Singapore, he's really, really hunting for a victory, right? He made a very early and very bold pit stop. It was a wild strategy choice very early in the race and subsequently, like the, the the lap right afterwards, his teammate, Nelson PK Jr., crashed at turn 17, which brought out a timely safety car. This was so timely that Alonso went on to win the race. He was leading the race after the safety car as everyone pulled into the pits because of the safety car. And it was just like utter fucking chaos. That's the only way I can describe it. Go watch the video. It's literally uh, there just was a lot of unsafe releasing is all I'm going to say. <laughs> it's just it's also really hard to follow because the footage isn't great. And so you're like, wait, what is happening here? <laughs> Post race, there were lots of questions about how timely the safety car was that worked with Alonzo's very strange and off the wall alternative strategy. But race fixing wasn't a thing that was actually ever discussed. Like, that wasn't something you mentioned. It wasn't like, oh, this was strange. Everyone was like, wow, this was really lucky. Never brought up race fixing. One year later, P.K. Jr. Yes, this is Kelly P.K.'s brother. Gotta throw that out there. Um, P.K. Jr. was dropped by Renault at the Hungarian Grand Prix in 2009. After that he was pissed and he admitted that the team told him to crash on purpose at the Singapore Grand Prix in order to promote Alonso to the lead. Renault didn't even contest it. They're like oops. So September of 2009 Renault got suspended on a 2-year ban. They can stay in F1 but if they mess up one more time they're out. They're out or they're banned. Thus, the team's all, in addition, the team's managing director, Flavio Braratori, was banned from all F1 and FIA-sanctioned events. And the executive director of engineering, Pat Simmons, received a five-year ban as well. Both of those were eventually overturned, and Alonso was cleared. But PK was unemployable in F1 after he blatantly admitted to race-fixing, kind of. And ultimately had to be paid compensations by Renault for becoming unemployable. So wild is all I'm going to say to end that up. That was wild. That was weird. Crazy that was strange.
1: Very strange. And speaking of Alonzo and Singapore, um, this Grand Prix was actually his 350th start. And so, thinking back about all those memories that he's, all the victories that he's taken, I wonder if he was sending out, pouring one out, maybe. Maybe he poured one out for Nelson Piquet Jr. You never know. I, I'd love to know. I I really want all of them. And when I mean all of them, I mean every I single really... one. To write a tell all. Like, I want Lewis, I want Alonzo, I want Nelson Piquet Jr., I want Daniel Ricciardo, I want every single one of them. Like, it, it's got to be mandatory. Like, if you retire from Formula One, you must write a tell all book about everything that happened when you raced.
0: We need all, all of it. Really, I just need Alonzo's because I want to talk, I want to know about the year he, of the first year with him and Lewis at McLaren, and I want to know about Crashgate. I got to know about it. I need the details. I need read receipts. Send me the text images. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But let's get into what happened this year, now that we talked about what's happened in the past. So we returned to Singapore after three years. COVID sucked, dude. It, It took us away from this track, and I didn't realize how much I enjoyed watching, how much I am sad that we missed it in the last three years when I went back and watched. I saw this race, even though it was chaotic and boring at the same time. I did kind of like miss this track. I think it's a cool track to watch. There's always something happening. Um, But before we get into breaking down all of the sessions, I have to ask Katie. So there was a chance that Max Verstappen could take home the title this weekend. Essentially Max had to finish first and Checo or Checo and Charles had to finish like seventh or eighth was essentially the thing. He had to be like 13 points ahead of Checo. If I'm remembering that math correctly. Katie, did you think it was going to happen this weekend? I did. Were you planning? Sorry to cut you off, but
1: I did. I did think it was going to happen. I thought it was going to be an easy shoe in. Max was going to win. They were going to take out all the custom made sweatshirts. Kelly was going to go kiss him. Like, I thought. After was- Helmet
0: Marco pushed her out of the way.
1: Yeah, all, all the things. I thought it was going to happen. I. Even, like, Lewis Hamilton commented on it and was like, yeah, it sucks for the fans and the sport because we know the winner. It's great for the winner because it happens, like... I. It would have been his sixth race win in a row. Like, I don't know. I, I thought it was going to happen until... Until the incident that happened with the Gasolina, which I will let Megan explain when we get to that part. I don't want to steal any thunder, but that's when I my yes turned into a maybe and then in the race very quickly, actually like first lap when he fell for positions, I was like, yeah, this isn't happening today. And I packed up my Max Verstappen homemade sweatshirt and threw it away or tucked it in the closet for next week. No, I don't have one, but I'm pretending. (laughs) I just want to be clear. I don't have one, but.
0: What's so funny is I found out that helmet Marco, this was after qualifying. It was late on set. Maybe it, was, it might have been Sunday morning or late Sunday night. Someone, I saw a tweet that Helmut Marco had said that it would be better if he won in Japan. And I was immediately like, he ain't winning this weekend. They ain't going to let him win this weekend. It's like, it's so much more propaganda for the Red Bull machine if they win in Japan.
1: Oh, because Honda? Because of Honda. Okay. I was just about to say, because, you know, and I was like, oh, Honda. Yeah, you're right. I mean, everyone will be there watch exactly so watch them drop like on wednesday of this week an announcement like we're doing
0: a special livery and i want them to bring back that white livery
1: yeah i would love to see that white livery again they should have just ran with that the rest of the year last year that was
0: beautiful it was gorgeous bring it back run it back red bull run it back Okay, let's get into actually what happened, not Katie and I talking about how much we like specific liveries. Let's begin with FP1. Lewis Hamilton went fastest. And don't even hate on me for celebrating that because this is the first time that he topped a session all year. This is the first time he has been in P1 in a session. And so I celebrated that. Look, I celebrated that harder than I celebrated Daniel Ricciardo's drive on Sunday. I don't care. I don't care if it was weird. I'm happy for it. It was a much better, stronger start start than I ever, ever thought was going to happen for Mercedes ever in a weekend. I'll be honest this year. Additionally, this is our first running that we got to see the McLaren's new livery out on track, but we also got to see the differences between Daniel Ricciardo and Lando Norris's car as Lando Norris received a massive upgrade package, which Daniel Ricciardo will be receiving in Japan. I think um, that is a big differentiator in where they ultimately ended time-wise for qualifying in the race. FP2 was topped by Carlos Sainz. A lot happened in the session. We had Gasly's car on fire. Sainz was pushing, and I was, like, chewing at my nails because he was scaring me with how close he was getting to the walls. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, Carlito, please do not do this to me. Please do not put that Ferrari into a barrier. Do not put it into a wall. Do not do that to me. We will not. No, 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 no. Ultimately, on Friday, even though Carlos gave, Carlos gave me a almost heart attack, Ferrari was leading in pace with Red Bull not far behind. There were a lot of Red Bull struggles on Friday. We had Verstappen losing out a lot of time in FP2 due to some setup changes that took longer than normal. He only ended up taking seven or eight laps in FP2. Sergio Perez had some engine troubles, and he really struggled to get into the groove of it on Friday. Clearly, that's not what happened on Sunday. But nonetheless, he ended up taking an older power unit in the car for the weekend. Saturday morning showed up, and Charles Leclerc went fastest. But this session was very wet, rained constantly whole time basically except for the last 10 minutes and really there was not a single car out on track for the first 28 minutes god it would have sucked to be there and if that had happened to katie and i in canada i would have shed tears but all the car most of the cars went out on full wet tires for that session but before we get into qualies we gotta take a we gotta take a break here i'm sorry we got we gotta talk about lewis hamilton and his jewelry the nose stud that literally will not go away. And the fact that the FIA is more concerned about what jewels are adorning Hamilton's body than, you know, maybe deciding on a reprimand or a punishment before the end of the race. That's, this is what we're focused on. Mm-hmm. So there were two summons on the issue of the nose stud, Hamilton's nose stud, which I'm surprised no one's created a Twitter account for at this point. It was seen in FP3. Hamilton explained he was summoned and then explained that medical professionals advised him not to remove his nose stud. Apparently in the taking it in and out he has had to do over the last couple of races, he developed an infection, which is now under control. But the doctor said that the jewelry had to stay. No further action was taken, but the FIA's medical professionals needed to examine the information from Lewis's doctors. Katie, is this getting out of hand? Is Is this no-stud causing too much?
1: This is the most ridiculous thing ever. And when the news broke and ESPN F1 and F1 put out the thing, put out the Instagram post about it, I was like, this is stupid. It's a no-stud. And, like, I get that. Mercedes is supposed to write down on a piece of paper and hand it to the FIA that it's supposed to say that Lewis Hamilton is keeping his nose stud in because of this and because of that. I get it. They made a mistake.
0: They were fined 25,000 euros for it too. And I support that punishment. Look, they should have had it on the piece of paper. Yep. And I don't buy Mercedes being like, well, we weren't sure if he had a nose stud. No, you knew.
1: Yeah, like, you know, you know, Lewis. Sorry. I think it's absolutely comical that... Okay, maybe comical is not the right word for it. I think it's insane that Lewis had medical professionals look at his nose stud infection. I mean, like, when a regular old person gets an infection from a piercing, we just put some salt water on it and move on. But Lewis Hamilton has medical professionals taking a look at it. But I get it. If you needed a doctor's note for the FIA, you needed a doctor's note for the FIA.
0: I mean, this This reminds me of CYC soccer. Back in the old days, Katie, we had to take our earrings out or put Band-Aids over it. Maybe they should just slap a Band-Aid on Lewis's nose. Yeah.
1: I mean, a nose stud, he takes all his other jewelry out. I'm with him. Like, the man wears a lot of jewelry. He does. I love it. Okay? I love it. I'm not saying that I don't. But, like, it's a nose stud. It'd be different if... He had his watch on or I don't even know, but it's a nose stud in the helmet.
0: I also look, 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 show the doctor's note and then can we just not talk about this anymore? Yeah. By the way, this is like so small in the things that are important right now, but it does show that the FAA is not is not unwilling to hand out penalties when rules are violated. So if you are going to hand out penalties for miswriting something on a sheet of paper, which is the rule, and I support that that punishment happened, you need to enact other punishments. And you need to do it at a timely manner, a.k.a. during the session in question. Let's move on to qualities. Oh, God, this one was a tough one to watch. Just kidding. I loved every minute of this one. We know I love a good qualifying session where the track goes from wet to dry. I just find them very fascinating. I think strategy is really interesting. So this one was not a disappointing session at all. It was a wet, dry track, and parts of the track were, like, bone dry, where other parts, specifically right before the tunnel, I think it was, like, turn 22... 17 17 or 22 I don't remember which one it is we're still really wet and had um standing water fascinating deciding you know when is that crossover point going to happen when are you going to decide you can go from intermediates to slicks we'll talk about a gamble that was made a little too soon and no it was not George Russell this time so let's talk Q1 to begin with. Everybody's out on intermediates, and there's a lot of short yellow flags for just like one or two sectors. We had Schumacher, Leclerc, Magnuson, I'm probably missing some, go off into the runoff area and have to do the little pirouettes. I do enjoy watching that. I hate to say it. I kind of like it. I thought it's cool. I, I was like, pirouette. how do they do that? And they do it in such a small, tight space. Like, I, there's one where Charles Leclerc did it, and I was like, there's no way he doesn't hit the wall, but didn't hit the wall. It's, it's very impressive. In session one, we had Valtteri Bottas, Daniel Ricciardo, Esteban Ocon Wilden, Alex Albon, and Nicholas Latifi, not surprising, go out. I was very happy to see the Aston Martins make it out of the first session. In Q2, the intermediates were still on for everyone at the beginning, but it was it was the Aston Martins. It was Lance and Seb that took the gamble first, and then ultimately Zhao joined them, but it was just way too way too soon for slicks and ultimately it would be George Russell shocking Lance Stroll Mick Schumacher Sebastian Vettel and Zhao Stroll Vettel and Zhao all on slicks that would go out in that session then we get to Q3 oh my Lanta oh my Lanta this session I hate that I'm saying that but Everybody but Sonoda and Magnuson started on intermediates. Hamilton took a provisional pull. Alonso took the provisional pull. Leclerc took the provisional pull. Max almost took it. And then he pulled into the pits. And I lost it. Max lost it. Everybody watching Qualies lost it. The commentators were like, what? And Max Verstappen would ultimately qualify P8 after Red Bull had two aborted laps in that session. After the session, Red Bull would announce that the final lap was aborted due to a lack of fuel. The team had only fueled the car for five laps, and they were able to get a sixth lap in. This matters because the Formula One rule says that they require one liter sampling for FIA testing post-session. So if he had just finished the lap and had less than a liter, he would have started the race in last. So it was better for him in that situation to pull into the pits. But it was bad and really unfortunate for him. He was totally going to take pole in that lap. He was before he was called in. In the post-quality interview, he admitted that he was 2.7 seconds up. It was actually a funny interview. They're like, you were one second up. He's like 2.5 or 2.7. He's like, no, you're wrong. It was more than one. He was so funny. He was so pissed. But I just feel for him. And the whole session was... All of the craziness of everything that had happened before was completely just forgotten about when everyone heard Max Verstappen's radio call.
1: What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck, guys? What the fuck?
0: Literally, that was Max Verstappen.
1: Yeah. I think he added a couple more what the fucks in there. But um...
0: the best is that he's screaming and they're like, we'll talk about it in the garage. They were like, we'll talk about it. We'll, We'll talk about it don't talk about it here. (laughs) (laughs) So Katie, before you get into race, here's my question for you. Looking at the grid only, like forget, you know what happens. Who did you think was going to win? If you could just look at the grid, who did you think was going to win that race? What
1: a tough question. I, I know it wasn't going to be Charles because Charles always seems to botch when he's on pole.
0: He has like one of the worst conversion ra- rates or r- conversion records from pole to winning. So yeah. he's out.
1: So he was out. I thought maybe Carlos Sainz was going to maybe take it because like, here's the deal. Like, yes, I thought Max was going to win not after the fuel thing, not after starting P 8 and definitely not after the first lap of the race, but I I did not think it was going to be Sergio at all.
0: It's so funny because I can't tell you who I thought was going to win. Like, I know who I wanted and I know who wouldn't. Like, I was like, Charles won't win. Alonzo won't win. I wanted Lewis to win, but I'm even rocking it. Look, I'm rocking for anyone who's watching. I'm rocking my Lewis racing thread shirt. I've got my Lewis scooter racing thread shirt on, too. (laughs) we're in solidarity with the man because we had a conversation about his nose. ring. I just, I don't know. I have, when I look at that grid, I couldn't even tell you that I thought, like, I didn't think Max was going to win. I had no idea who was going to win this race.
1: Yeah. I, I was utterly confused. And I, I was quite excited come Sunday morning because for once I was like, I have no idea who might win this. (laughs)
0: so for once we have some drama
1: for once we have some drama
0: this podcast is brought to you by racing Thread, formula one clothing for any occasion
1: their clothing features subtle evocative embroidered designs of your favorite f1 moments
0: from ricardo's monza Chewy to sebastian's australian scooter ride
1: From Lewis's Brazilian comeback to a Carlando round of golf. Whether you're
0: out to dinner with friends, watching the race at home, or cheering in the grandstands.
1: Gone are the embarrassing sponsor logos. Instead, Racing Thread is
0: F1 clothing you're comfortable wearing anywhere. Right now, Dirty Driving listeners can get 15% off Racing Thread's entire range of t-shirts, sweatshirts, and polos using the code Dirty Driving. That 's
1: dirty driving all capitals, no spaces for 15 percent off their entire
0: clothing range. Head over to racingthread.com to shop F1 racewear for anywhere.
1: All right, well with with that let's let's get into it let's talk about it let's talk about Sunday. We found out that George Russell was going to be starting from the pit lane due to taking his fourth ICE, a new turbocharger, MGUH, and MGUK. So new power units that were changed on Saturday night. They were replaced without the approval of the FIA technical delegate during part for May. So like I said, our man started from the pit lane, and that was just the start of his his Sunday. I, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. So to start, Megan and I wake up, the whole house wakes up, we turn on the TV and the race has not begun because guess what? It rained and it rained hard and we were delayed for about 60 minutes or so due to that big rainstorm. So it worked out in our favor. The house got to wake up a little bit and get our coffee down before we all... I, when I say the house, the whole family was together this weekend. So it was quite nice to sit and watch the race with Roger listing off facts about Singapore, the country. He was doing his research and Stephanie was asking questions here and there. And PJ was trying to watch football at the same time. And Megan and I were just like, can we shut up and watch the race?
0: <laughs> it, <laughs> but, was alas, just it was a lot. I've never been so mad.
1: I, it, there was a lot going on and Roger was talking about, I don't even remember. How much but,
0: agricultural land is right, in Singapore. Much Newsflash. There's
1: basically none.
0: Cause there's it's a ba- city.
1: It's literally just the city. So yeah. All right. So Megan, we knew with the race delay in order to finish the full 61 laps, we had to go without an incident due to the time constraints. Did you have any hope of seeing a perfect race, a.k.a. no safety car, or were you fully prepared that we were going to get the stopwatch timer?
0: Oh, I mean, it was going to happen. Singapore has never not had a safety car, and let me tell you, I knew there were going to be many. I didn't predict it to be this, but in my brain, I was like, there's going to be a couple. I really thought there was going to be an incident into the first turn. I'm actually surprised that there wasn't.
1: And actually, I'm very surprised that there wasn't a bigger incident in the race. Agreed. Like, the biggest one was the first one with, we'll get there, but, yeah, it it could have been a lot worse in general. So, let's jump in. The track was still wet when we went lights out, and away we went for less than 61 laps of racing. Both LeClaire and Perez got away well, but it was Perez leading the race into turn one. Hamilton went wide, and Carlos was able to sneak through to third. Lando then put some pressure on Lewis, but remained where he was. And Fernando was losing some places, as well as Max, who slipped down to 12th from eighth. Zhao was also down four places at the start, and Sainz and Hamilton had a little contact while Albon took a spin, but recovered. In lap two, Max was able to get around K-Mag and Vettel, getting himself up to 10. Here's where the chaos truly begins. It began in lap seven with the first of five safety cars appearances or five safety cars. A couple of them were virtual safety cars. Latifi runs, runs into Zhao, causing Zhao to pull off and retire. Latifi suffered a puncture. He was able to make it back to the pits, but ultimately retired as well. So we got two DNFs lap seven for safety car and guess whose fault it was latifis who i was going to save this and say it at the end but i'll just say it now who is going to take a five place grid penalty next race for causing the collision so instead of starting 20th he'll start 25th just kidding you can't do that
0: it'd be funnier if you could it'd be funnier if you could if you like literally had
1: to leave the spaces and start farther back
0: that'd be way more of a punishment in terms of embarrassment
1: embarrassment for sure We saw some battling between George Russell and Valtteri. They touch and George ran off for a little bit and the safety car ends and Max got around Pierre who was now, who then sat in seventh place in lap 21. We saw our second safety car of the race. This time a virtual one due to Alonzo's engine crapping out at this point. Everyone is still (laughs) running inters as the track took way too long to dry Russell Pitt and took the gamble of medium slicks. He fell to 17th or at that point last place. A few laps. Did you like my crapping <laughs> out?
0: Is that why you good? That's so accurate. That's <laughs> it's literally so accurate for Alpine. Like, I don't even want to call it a reliability. Like, that car just shits the bed. No, it <laughs> just shit out. Like, I mean, I, he, like, Valtteri's he, car can't really talk either.
1: Yeah, he literally pulled off and they were like, Engine, and then I was just like, okay, cool, it's done, crapped out, whatever. A few laps later, we saw Albon, good old Alex, into the barrier. His front wing broke off and actually got stuck into the barrier, which I don't think I've ever seen before. It caused, it was kind of weird, like it was yellow and then it flipped to green and then it flipped back to yellow, and then we finally got a virtual safety car. And he went back to the pit. We thought he was going to continue with a replaced front wing, but they cut the engine and we retired the car. So I'm honestly like kind of secretly glad that Alex had a little moment and got to be done because I think he truly just deserved to not race that whole race and like in a manner of resting and recovering. And I think it would have been very hard on him. If he had gone the whole race is what I mean by that. Uh so yeah. Two laps later, we then saw Ocon into the barriers. And I was sad because SC Bestie has really grown on me this season. You all know that. So into the barriers. He had to and-
0: walk. He had to walk <laughs> through the <laughs> he <to> subway.
1: <laughs> he did have to walk through the subway. Uh, Megan, I'll have to send it to you, but I'll put it on the story too. But there's this tweet that was like, um, F1 the highest echelon of motorsport and it's like Lewis Hamilton walking back you know all the great it's um Sergio through the forest it's it's phenomenal it's just all the out cut takes of everyone sitting there were actually I'm gonna go back sorry for a second oh hi pod puppy (laughs) pod puppy just popped in um there were actually some great outtakes of the drivers like after they dnf'd the one of alonzo just sitting there with his hands in his with his chin in his hands staring like tv direction did great this weekend they did i just thought
0: poor buddy like when i saw him (laughs) looking through the fence like with his hands under his chin i was like oh poor little buddy poor buddy yeah so
1: Ocon again into the barriers he brought out the fourth safety car another virtual one and one more dnf like megan said he walked his way through the metro through the to the subway to get back to where he belonged great photo i would have i would have died to like obviously if i was in singapore i would have been at the race but by chance if i was in singapore in the subway station and i saw him walking through i would have died
0: I would have thought yeah. he was going to a costume party. Like I didn't, I would never have thought that it was the real Esteban Ocon. Like I'd be like, bro, you should be driving on a track. Like that's somebody dressed up like him. I would have <laughs> never thought it was really him. Insane.
1: In lap 30, we went racing again with Perez leading followed by Leclerc, Sainz and Hamilton. And before we knew it, Hamilton was in the barriers at turn seven He was able to reverse and make his way back on track to complete the race, but yeah, it was one of two mistakes that were made that unfortunately just didn't bode well for him. Lab 36 gave us our fifth and final safety car with Yuki going into the barrier at turn 10. He DNF'd, and we have 14 drivers remaining on the grid with 35 minutes to go. Verstappen locked up in an attempt to overtake Lando, and he went off, making his way back to the pits, falling from being in the top five to last place. Schumacher was defending the absolute shit out of George Russell. George even came on the radio and was like, what do you think is happening? Like, where does he think he is? He's defending so hard. They touched because George didn't leave him enough room. It caused a puncture for George who had to pit and then took last place as well. With 26 minutes remaining, DRS was finally enabled. Yes, 26 <laughs> minutes remaining. We got some DRS. And Leclerc was actually gaining on Perez and for like for a second I was like, "Oh, are we going to have a battle for first place? Like is this going to be a moment for us? Like is it going to happen?" No, it it
0: didn't. We had 16 minutes of it.
1: We had we had 16 minutes of like, "Ooh, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen?" It didn't. It's okay though. So with 10 minutes to go, we hear news that Perez will be investigated after the race for a safety car infringement. So we had no we had no idea what the FIA was going to give him. So Red Bull is like, "Just push." And I saw this great tweet. Shout out to whoever tweeted it. It was uh, Checo in the car, and instead of, like, the visual of the speedway, it was, like, in Star Wars when they go to warp speed. And I thought that was very clever. I'm just always amazed by Twitter and Instagram. So, Megan, in this moment, in this moment, did we think that Perez was going to get victory? Was he going to be able to keep victory? What, what, What did you think?
0: I honestly had no idea because at that point we had no idea which safety car had been a problem. (laughs) Turns out it was three of them. But in that moment I was like, oh, it's just one. It's five seconds. It'll be fine. I also knew I, in the back of my head, I was like, there's no chance that Charles is going to be able to stay within five seconds because he has just destroyed his tires and he wasn't able to pass him. So it's just not going to happen. And at that point I was like, look, Checo deserves this win. Sign, seal, and deliver. Checo deserved it.
1: Amen. So, with two lap, two minutes left, not laps, two minutes left, Leclerc was two seconds from Perez, but Perez managed to speed on up and get way further in front. And meanwhile, Max took advantage of a lock up mistake that Lewis made while trying to get around Vettel, which then Max took the opportunity to take both of them, making his way from ninth to seventh on the last. Perez took victory for the fourth time in his career, and he is the first man in over a decade to do a Monaco-Singapore double, which I'm about to tell you who did it last, which it was Vettel in 2011. And when I read that, I literally... Could not believe that 2011 was over a decade ago. It really did not register in my mind. I was like, oh, it's probably going to be like 2003. Nope, 2011. So there we are on the time warp of Formula One. This is Red Bull's first win here since 2013, again with Vettel. And Perez becomes the 58th driver to lead a race from start to finish. Leclerc actually became the 57th in Australia earlier this year. Leclerc himself came home in second, his third consecutive podium, finishing second to a Red Bull every time. And Sainz landed in the last podium position, giving Ferrari their first double podium since Miami 12 races ago. In the hours following the race, we learned that Perez would get to keep his win but receive a five-second penalty as well as two penalty points. So that was Sunday. It was wild. It was a
0: lot. It was a lot. And I was- repeat – Chaos and utter boredom at the same time. I've never experienced the sa- those two feelings simultaneously. Chaos but bored. I genuinely, like, between the safety cars, I was just like... No, like, not between the safety... Like, between when a safety car would come out and the, and the racing would resume again, I was just kind of like, let me check Twitter. Like, let me see what people are saying about this crash. <laughs> like... <laughs>
1: You know, there's a a race, there's a race, there's a race in Singapore at the end of the day,
0: at the end of the day, I was just happy that Max didn't win. Not because I have any issues with Max, just because it allowed for the fight for the championship to continue longer. So, for a quick fantasy wrap up, uh I I fumbled the bag this week and or fumbled the ball this week and I dropped to 6th place as I failed to complete my team, unfortunately. Katie had a solid weekend performance as she in a turn of events did complete her team. Yay,
1: I did it. And you know what? I chose not to place any bets this weekend because it was after court. what happened
0: on Sunday or after what happened on Saturday. I was like, let's not waste the money. Yeah,
1: I was like, I'm not mentally prepared. To not know who's going to win this race. And throw money on it. Plus the odds were Here's the thing. Because Formula 1 isn't a heavily bet on sport. Like in comparison to other sports. Sometimes the odds do not get updated. In a timely manner. So the odds that for Max Verstappen to win the race. Before Qualys. Were the same after Qualys. And that's just part of betting on a sport that isn't super popular in the betting world right now.
0: Okay, let's get into our winners and losers. I'm actually very excited about this because I don't think I've chosen this as a winner ever. So my winner is Aston Martin. It was the best result of the season. Stroll finished in P6, which previously his best result had been P10, which he had done five times, but massive step step up from P10 to P6. His teammate, Sebastian Vettel, made up five places to start after his qualifying incident, aka they put on slick tires too soon, but finished P8 which is his fourth P8 of the year. So ultimately it was 12 total points for the team and that has moved them, wow, moved them ahead of Haas and al into seventh in the constructors. So that is ultimately why I chose them. Like, yeah, 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 Stroll, great time. Yeah, 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 Vettel, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're now in seventh in the constructors. So this was a massive changeup in what I would call like the back of the midfield and the back of the pack. In one race beautiful thing 12 points
1: my winner this week was i threw him a bone and and they deserved it but is mclaren with lando's fourth place and daniel's fifth place the team amassed 22 points this weekend passing alpine and retaking fourth in the constructor championship something that i don't think megan and i saw happening with the rest of the season correct me if i'm wrong on that but I'm pretty sure we said that they were going to be fifth and Alpine was going to be fourth. Um, So proud of them. Yeah, they both benefited from the free pit stop after the lap 36 safety car, which was the Yuki safety car. And then the errors that we saw from Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen also assisted in McLaren keeping their spots. On top of it, Daniel Ricciardo went from 16th to fifth place. He finished his first My top boy. five finish in Saudi Arabia in 2021. And this was his first point, first points in four races. So he had four pointless GPs, which, okay, I don't mean it like that. <laughs> but he had four GPs where he didn't score. No, he had points.
0: four points where he did not score. I got it. Yeah. I got it. I'm <laughs> picking up what you put down.
1: Okay, good. And... I loved what he said. He said, we know the year it's been, and I feel like I was certainly due some good fortune. So happy for that man and the team. He
0: deserved it. He deserved that race. And look, Lando may have held on to a great position and may have ended 50 or 32 seconds up from Daniel, but Daniel did not have the upgrades that Lando did. So... I think it is much more impressive based on the race that was happening that Daniel went from P-whatever, 16, to P5. That's an impressive run. I'm happy for him. It's interesting you chose McLaren as your winner because I chose Alpine as my loser. I genuinely don't think that there is another team that deserted, deserved to be a loser other than Mercedes. Or, But Alpine was the biggest loser. Full stop, the biggest loser. I would even see say that they were worse of a loss than Williams because they were looking good. And unfortunately, like poor reliability. They crapped out strikes again. Both cars retired. First one to have two retirements on the year. Alonso was running in top in the top six when he had his technical issue. He would have held on to that. I could have even seen him get a podium considering now we know that Lewis and Verstappen would have those incidents, he could have easily gotten around the McLarens. I fully believe that other than his technical issue. He went on to say, Alonzo went on to say that he, in his Instagram post, that he thinks he has now lost 60 points due to failures or mistakes. And that is just unfortunate. As this is the second race in a row that they failed to score points and are, like Katie said, drop behind McLaren which we did not predict. And I did not th- I did not think I would utter those words this year. So I think this was a massive, massive, massive problem. And Ocon didn't even get out of Q1. Forgot to throw that in there. Let me just add that cherry on top of the cake.
1: The <laughs> icing, I'm sorry.
0: No, cherry on top of the ice cream. Not cake, not icing, ice cream.
1: I think it's the icing on top of the cake.
0: Or the cherry on top of the the ice cream. Or the sundae. It's the cherry on top of the sundae.
1: Yeah. Okay. There we go.
0: Or icing on the... I don't know. Whatever. Whatever. Summer, I made myself look like an idiot.
1: <laughs> and my loser was Lewis Hamilton. Megan was right. The really only other loser I could have picked was George. And he had such a shit weekend that I didn't want to give up my loser of the weekend. So I went with Lewis and It's really because we had the early hopes of him challenging for a victory, which morphed into a P9 after two errors. On Saturday, he was close. We thought, you know, he had provisional pull for a second. He topped the times in practice. Like, I thought we were going to get something. And then Carlos won out in the first corner, and Lewis settled in behind him. We had that lap 33 error when he put the car in the wall. And then... He recovered and was running P8 and was challenging Vettel on the last lap, like I said earlier, and he slid off and Max slipped past him. So all in all, it was just not a good weekend. And he ended it with, I don't really have much emotion at the moment. A pretty rubbish day.
0: We concur, Sir Lewis. We can <laughs> We Okay, our honorable mention, I'm excited for this one, weird that I'm excited about this, is Lance Stroll. He finished sixth, best of the year, after he had only ever been in 10th place five times. So I feel like this string of just really back-of-the-points performances is not happening anymore. And you could see in the post-race press conference how proud and happy he was. And so he definitely deserves the honorable mention of the race.
1: And our hidden gem. I know we normally pick an off track moment, but I just wanted to honor this man because he deserves it. It's Daniel Ricardo, and after all the shit that he's been through this season he still shows up with a positive attitude weekend after weekend. He was playing around with Yuki and Pierre when they were doing their blindfold sushi testing tasting and Daniel fed Yuki some grass and then he snuck up behind George Russell while he was interviewing and did the whole good old George Russell moment with him and You could see, you know, he had a very impressive race this weekend, finishing fifth and, sorry, sixth. No, fifth up from 16th. Sorry, numbers are hard. And I just wanted to take a moment for him to be our hidden gem because whether he's a reserve— He is a hidden gem. He is a hidden gem. And whether he's a reserve driver next year or somehow slots into one of these remaining spots— He's always going to be our hidden gem and always going to be one of our favorites. So I just wanted to take a minute for him.
0: Up next is the Japanese Grand Prix in Suzuka, Japan at the Suzuka International Racing Course. It's known for its high-speed S-curves and a crossover. Mm -hmm, It's here. It's an ultimate driving challenge that most drivers would say is fun to I don't actually think I've ever heard a driver hate on Suzuka. But after the physical test in Singapore, this is more of like a, it's a different kind of challenge that they're heading into. Drivers really love it here. And let me tell you, I'm excited to see all of the action. The track was built in 1962 by the owner of Honda. I know you're surprised. Who wanted to build an automotive powerhouse. So he decided that his company needed to have its own test track. It was designed and the original design... Included the track passing over itself three times. Clearly that didn't make the final cut and it only does it once. It arrived on the calendar in 1987, which is a race to be remembered or forgotten, depending on who you are. For Nigel Mansell, probably forgotten as his qualifying crash ruled him out of the race and led to his championship championship. That he thought he was gonna be getting going to his rival Nelson PK. Yes, that is the Nelson PK Jr.'s father Nelson PK that we mentioned earlier in this episode. Father of Kelsey PK. Father-in-law to be of Max Verstappen. Just wanted to make sure everyone knows all the family trees in the paddock (laughs) we return here for three (laughs) years Katie stop laughing at me we return here after three years away due to COVID-19 it is the home race for Honda who isn't really in the sport anymore but is still in the sport kind of sort of which is probably why Helmet Marco asked for Verstappen's championship celebration to be held here so will we see the championship happen next weekend or will it be another wild race like last weekend join us next week for a race recap to find out Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us at Dirty Driving Pod on Twitter and Instagram.
1: Until next time, stay dirty.